0: Please turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. God's word says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. you keep your Bibles open, First Corinthians 6 will be there in just a moment. I wanted to make a couple of announcements very briefly. And the first is that uh, Amber Reynolds asked us to be praying for her uncle. And I failed to get that message to Waylon. Uh, her uncle, his name is Jim Cook. Uh, he suffered a heart attack a couple of days ago and underwent a triple bypass surgery uh, in over in Odessa today, I believe. And so he is recovering from bypass surgery. We want to keep him uh, in our prayers. I want to also make mention that this last Thursday, Sister Elaine is is granted one visitor per day due to COVID in Houston. And Thursday, Julie was her one visitor. And Julie was able to go up and visit with her for a couple of hours. And I just wanted to send her greetings to all of you. She is in good spirits, like you might imagine she would be. Someone who always seemed to have a smile on their face and continues to do so um, she's having her struggles. She said it was a bit of a down day and Julie walked in the room and, and that kind of seemed to brighten things. Um, but just an update on her, she, she is in a wonderful, a wonderful care facility. Julie said she was there for a couple of hours and in that time there were a few different doctors who walked in. They all sat down, they all treated her like she was the only patient uh, in the building. They gave her all the time that she needed and wanted and, and was just so impressed with the care that she's receiving. But with her broken hand, uh, it's going to require about six weeks more to heal. And so they are loaning her at this time an electric uh, wheelchair. And they're going to move her in the next week or two over to a nursing home facility in the Houston area uh, where she will continue to rehab and recover from the broken hand. And once she does that, then she will go back uh, to this tier facility that she's in now And continue rehab. So she's still looking at uh, a few months more in that area. Um, But I wanted you to know that that she misses us and we uh, need to continue to pray for her. And I know that you are. Uh, She's received a lot of cards and she appreciates that so much. And a lot of you ladies uh, sent a little video with Julie on on her phone. And she said she just sat there and cried and cried and cried uh, looking at that and feeling uh, the outpouring of love. And so I just wanted to send greetings on behalf of Sister Elaine and appreciate you so much for keeping her uh, in your prayers. When I was growing up, on an occasional off day of school, uh, maybe an off Saturday when I wasn't working, uh, I enjoyed watching daytime TV uh, game shows with my mother. Mom likes uh, watching game shows. And we didn't have cable TV until I was a teenager and I remember when, we, when I got cable TV, I found the Game Show Network, and I thought, this is the greatest channel ever. I really enjoyed watching uh, some of those game shows, and that shows you again that I was born old. I get it, it's okay. But I enjoyed those old uh, TV game shows, The Price is Right, uh, Wheel of Fortune, $100,000 Pyramid, Joker's Wild, uh, Press Your Luck, a lot of those old game shows on TV. I enjoyed watching them. But when Dad got home, It was time for Jeopardy. That is a big Jeopardy fan, and I'm a big Jeopardy fan. And uh, that came on in the evenings about the time that Dad usually was getting home from work. And so he would use Jeopardy as his time to unwind, and he could just kind of zone out for a little while. And he didn't watch it every day, but when it was on and the timing worked, uh, he would watch Jeopardy. And so for any of you Jeopardy fans in the audience tonight, when you see the sermon title, Bought, but you see the quotes around the word ought. Alex Trebek, in giving all the listings of the categories, and when it came to anything that was in quotes, he would say, now the correct answer is going to start with the words or the letters in quotes. I want to begin tonight by looking at the idea of being bought. Brother Joe read that for us a moment ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. And then I want to make a transition into thinking four times that we find the word ought in the New Testament. And so we'll begin by thinking about the fact that we are bought. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there are six times that Paul will use the very same phrase. The phrase is, do you not know? Or King James, know ye not? Know ye not? Or do you not know? I remember being asked that when I was a young person by my parents. Adam, do you not know? And what that implied was... You do know. You're just living as if you do not know. You know this, but you're living as if you do not know this. And they would want to bang their head against the wall, so to speak, because I wasn't living as if I did. Six times, do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? Paul is going to begin the chapter talking about taking their brethren to court. And he's saying, why would you take your brethren to court? Why would you not rather suffer wrong than to take the church and air its dirty laundry in front of the world? And in chapter 6, he begins to draw this line between those who are unrighteous and those who are righteous. In fact, if you look at chapter 6 and drop down to verse number 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he lists several uh, things that are considered unrighteous, fornication, adultery, idolatry, and the like. And he says again, those who do such things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. There is a line, he says, between the unrighteous and the righteous. And you who are supposed to be righteous, well, you're flirting with the line. You're flirting with the line, and you're beginning to to act as if you don't know how you're supposed to live. Do you not know? Look at the last three with me. For example, in verse number 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Do you not know that you are members of Christ? He's asking the question. Do you not know that you should conduct yourself in a certain way that thinks like Jesus would think and acts like Jesus would act? Would, would behave Himself or act? Do you not know that you're members of Christ and you should be teaching as Jesus would teach? Do you not know that you should be living as Jesus lived? Jesus would never join himself to a harlot. And so he's making this great exaggeration to make a point. You're not the unrighteous. You're to be living as the righteous. I know that you know this. In verse 16, do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. I need to be reminded of that from time to time. I know that that's a simple thing to be reminded of, but, but I need to be reminded as I go about living my life. You see, I know this, but sometimes I live as if I don't know this. I, I know that, that a price was paid for my salvation. You know, as Christians, that a price was paid for your salvation. Jesus paid that price for you. And we would do well to be reminded that we were bought at a price. We, we think about being bought, right? And we think about what the Bible has to say. You remember in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 that, that Paul talks about the price that was paid for the church. That Jesus purchased the church with His own blood. Again, Acts 20 and verse 28. And so you remember that you were bought at a price. That you didn't pay the price... We were supposed to pay the price. We deserve to pay the price. But Jesus stood in our place and paid the price for us. You were bought at that price. He's writing to those. Paul is in 1 Corinthians. He's writing to those who are members of the church of God. Members of that body that had been purchased with Jesus' blood. You were bought. That's what I came to remind you tonight. You were bought. You were bought. You've been paid for. Jesus did that for you. He did that for me. I didn't deserve it. There's no way I can ever repay it. But I need to be reminded that I've been bought. Jesus paid for me. He bought me with His precious blood. He paid the price by going to the cross. And so how do I respond to the fact that I've been bought? This isn't a do better, try harder kind of a sermon. This is a sermon that reminds me that as a Christian, the price has been paid and I need to respond to that appropriately. Ought. Four oughts. All four of these are connected to Jesus. Because He paid the price, how do I respond to that? Because the price has been paid, how do I live? You know, that word ought carries with it the idea of duty or obligation. I'm asking tonight, what is my duty? What's my obligation? How do I respond to the fact that I have been bought? what a wonderful, marvelous thing for us to think about the price that was paid for our salvation and then in some small, small, insignificant, seemingly way, how is it that I respond to Jesus and the price that he paid for my salvation? The first ought I want you to think about tonight. I dropped this remote a little bit ago and batteries spilled out of it. And so if I have to push it more than once, bear with me. I ought to live like Jesus, and I do that by serving others like Jesus did. Look for the word ought in your Bible in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, I want to remind you, as if you don't know, exactly the scene that is going on before us. Brother Will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, used uh, verses 25 and 26. You remember Paul, in that context of the Lord's Supper, talks about the fact that Jesus, on the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread, and later, on the same night that He was betrayed, took uh, fruit of the vine and blessed it and, and said, Drink from it. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for many. Do this in remembrance of Me. On the same night in which He was betrayed. Well, you could also say that that's the same night in which He washed feet. That's the same night that He washed dirty feet. That's the same night that Jesus washed the feet of His betrayer. In fact, that's the same night that Jesus washed the feet of His denier, Peter, who would deny Him the same night. You could say Jesus on the night in which He washed the feet of those who would later desert Him. All of this takes place that same night. And Jesus washed their dirty feet. The dirty feet of his denier, his betrayer, and those who would flee from him. In John chapter 13, the Bible says in verse number 12 that when he had washed their feet and taken his garments, he sat down again and he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus came to offer service. I don't know what it would have been like to wash dirty feet. I've washed my own dirty feet. My feet can get dirty And I've washed my own. But there's something about washing your own versus washing someone else's dirty foot, isn't there? I don't know what that would have been like, but I know this. If Jesus wouldn't have washed their dirty feet, then dirty feet don't get washed that night. No one else was willing to do it. No one else was going to stoop to that level. No one else was going to get a basin and put water in it and wash dirty feet that night. Jesus was the only one willing to do it. If I've done that, you ought to do that. Young people, I want you to listen to me a second. When I was young, I was at one time, when I was young, when I was your age, my parents took me to do tasks for people that I did not want to do. I did not want to go I did not want to do it. I did not want to be a part of it. But they forced me to do it. They were slave drivers, in my opinion, right? They're they forcing me against my will to do those things that I do not want to do. I want no part of that. And if they didn't force me to do it, I guarantee you, I wouldn't have done it. How sad it is that some adults never grow out of that that unless someone forces them to, they just won't. How sad it is, because what they're doing is they're trying to train us. And how sad it is that at times I, I don't do it because no one's forcing me to. Jesus says, I've done this and no one forced me to do it. And if he wouldn't have done it, then it wouldn't have gotten done. You see, that's the example that Jesus left. He said, I want you to do and serve others when no one's forcing you to. I want you just to do it because it's the right thing to do. There are other times when I would go and I would serve people and I would do things nice for other people because I was pretty sure I was going to get something in return. Right? You go over to that widow's house because you know if you do something nice for her, she gives you the big candy bars. You go over to her house and do something nice. I had a great aunt. You would go to her house and do something nice and she would give you a chocolate milkshake when you were leaving. Okay, I'll go over that. No problem, I'll do whatever she wants me to do if there's a milkshake in the end of it for me. And how sad it is that some people never grow out of that. I'll only do it if there's something in it for me. I'll only do that if there's some kind of benefit for me. But if I'm not getting paid, or I'm not getting some kind of reward, then there's not a chance that I'm going to do that. I'm telling you, when Jesus washed dirty feet, there was nothing in return. He didn't get anything in return. And he says, as I've done that, you ought to do that. Serve when you're not expected to get anything back. Do that. And you're more like Jesus. That's what Jesus was. And that's the example that he left. You see there on the screen, Philippians chapter 2. How, how can you talk about service in Jesus without discussing for a moment, at least Philippians chapter 2, at least making reference to it. Where Paul says, and this is even before you get into the mind of Christ in verse number 5. Backing up, think about what he, the groundwork that he lays before he talks about having the mind of Christ. In verse number 3 he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. I'm telling you, that's what drove Jesus. That's exactly the picture of Christ. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Jesus, Jesus was God in the flesh, but that's exactly who he was—in lowliness of mind, esteeming others better than himself. That's who Jesus was. Jesus came looking out not for his own interests but for the interest of others. We ought to serve others like that. I want to do good for others. I want to help others. I want to serve others like Jesus did when nobody makes me and when I expect nothing in return. A duty and loving obligation to serve others like Jesus did. That's how we ought to live. Number two, we ought to walk like Jesus walked. Look for the word ought in your Bible in 1 John chapter 2. Here John says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 3, Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. Ought to walk just as he walked. Well, you know, in that context, when we're dealing with walking, we're dealing with living. He who walks in the light, we shall walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us from all sin. Walking, living, your lifestyle, living like Jesus. You ought to walk just as he walked. I think this is a wonderful context and there's so much more that we could say about it. But understand that that word in verse number 3 that is translated keep if we keep His commandments. You have on the screen behind me the idea behind that word to give heed to, to observe, to obey. And it is a present tense verb meaning that this is what we continue to do. We continue to keep His commandments. It's not a one-time offering of lip service, a one-time saying that you're a Christian, a one-time saying that you're saved and then you can live however you want. But we continue to obey. That's exactly what Jesus did through His life, isn't it? He he wasn't just here for a little bit and saying, Father, I'm going to obey you today and then uh, not obey. That's not the example He left, is it? He always did those things that pleased Him. That's what I want to strive to do. I'm not saying that that we're going to be perfect like Jesus was. But I am saying that He he set the bar really high and sometimes we aim too low. We want to strive to live as Jesus lived. We want to strive to walk as Jesus walked. But notice one of the greatest blessings of walking like Jesus is in verse number 3, verse number 4, and verse number 5. One of the greatest blessings of striving to live as Jesus lived, to walk as Jesus walked, is to know God. The idea of that is to know that you're in a right relationship with God. How about that? We ought to walk as Jesus walked. And trust, as we do, that we remain in a right relationship with God. I want to know tonight that, that I have a choice to make about how I live. I get to choose my walk through life. God has granted me that. He's given me the ability to make up my mind, but the best mind that I can make up is to live like Jesus. What a great blessing to know that as we choose to live as Jesus lived, as we continue to strive to keep the commands of God because of Jesus, we can be in a right relationship With God. We ought to walk like Jesus. Number three is over in 1 John chapter 3. I didn't have to turn the page in my Bible. Maybe you did. But 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. The Bible says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Of course, that's Jesus. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren to sacrifice like Jesus did. How about that? I wonder uh, sometimes as I'm walking through life and going about my daily activities, Adam, what is this costing you? I mean, what have you given up? What are you willing to what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice? We've got it pretty good, don't we? <laughs> because a wonderful God has blessed us the way that he has. We have it really good. But I want you to be reminded tonight about the blessing of the brethren. I want you to be reminded tonight about the church that was always in the eternal purpose of God. That was always in his mind. Ephesians 3 verses 8 through 11. That from the foundation of the world, God was always looking ahead and He knew that Jesus was going to come and He knew He was going to shed His blood and He knew that that blood was going to purchase saved people and they would be a part of His church, the church that belongs to Christ, the church of Christ. That was always in the mind of God. And Jesus came and He paid the price to purchase that church so that people can be saved He purchased my salvation. He purchased your salvation. And and John says, by this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. You go up to a young child. Go up to your son or your daughter. Go up to your grandchild. And say, do you love me? And they will say, yes, I love you. Show me how much you love me. And they will run into your arms. And they will throw their arms around you. And they will kiss you on the cheek. Daddy, I love you this much. That's special, isn't it? So you go to Jesus. You say, Jesus, how much do you love me? And he points to the cross, doesn't he? That's how much I love you. That's how much I love you. Brother Mike, in the last uh, few weeks, several weeks, has been looking at different, different aspects concerning uh, relationships within the church and things like that. And, and it, it's sad, isn't it? It's sad that too many in the church are willing to bicker and complain and talk down about and, and uh, really throw rocks and stones at their brethren instead of building up and encouraging, striving to be unified. Instead of tearing down, I wonder how much do you love the brethren? How much do you love the church? How much do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, not only here at Westside, but outside of here? How much do we love the church, our brethren? You see, there's the standard. God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... John 3 and verse 16. There's your standard. Jesus says that's the picture of sacrifice. And if that's the picture of sacrifice, he says you ought to be willing to lay down your life for your brethren. Pretty high standard, isn't it? It's sad. It's sad to see division. It is sad to see strife. It is sad to see those who are all too willing to make themselves the standard and not, and not Jesus. We need to guard against it. We need to be willing to stand against it. We need to be willing to help and to, at the end of the day, sacrifice ourselves for our brethren, to love them and to do whatever we can to help each other get to heaven. That's what it's all about, isn't it? We're just here to help each other get home. That's what it's all about. Sacrifice whatever necessary to help each other get home. This is how I want to live, because because I've been bought. This is what I ought to do, because I've been bought. The final thing I want you to think about tonight are the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. At the end of the day, I want to pray like Jesus. The Bible says in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, we find this word ought, And it's not in red letters, it's not words that Jesus spoke, but right after we find this verse, we find a parable that Jesus provides. And in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, Luke says, Then He, Jesus, spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. How about that? Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. This is my duty and obligation as a child of God, is to pray is to always keep the faith, always understand and trust that God hears me when I pray and that He is always going to respond according to His will. And then Jesus gives that parable. You like that one, right? The parable of the persistent widow. It's a favorite of mine as we think about it and and what the picture that is drawn of God and who He is and how He listens to me when I pray to Him. Jesus talks about that little widow the little widow who was unable to help herself. She was in a helpless situation. She had one option, it seems, from the parable, and the one option was to go to the judge who had the ability to help her out. The problem is the judge hated people and hated God. Had no regard for either. And so now she finds herself, what we might say, is a real pickle a real pickle. Because here she has a problem. This is the only person who can help me out of it. And he won't listen to me. He has no desire to help me. He doesn't care about me. He, he, does, he wants nothing to do with me. And so she has an option, doesn't she? She can quit. And she can give up. She can throw her hands in the air and say, Well, I guess I'm not going to be able to get that done. Or she can be persistent. And she'll just go back tomorrow. He won't listen. I'll go back tomorrow. He won't listen. I'll go back tomorrow. Until she finally wears him down. Some have that ability, don't they? (laughs) They can wear people down. They can wear people out. Well, this widow had that ability. She wore him down until finally he caved and said, Fine, if you'll quit coming back, I'll help you out. And What's the message of the parable? The message is, I am that widow. I am unwilling, uh, unable, rather, to help myself. I'm unable to get out of this situation of sin by myself. I'm unable to get to heaven by myself. I'm unable to help myself in many aspects of this life. I'm unable to do that. Oh, I think I can at times, and I get really arrogant and proud of myself. But I'm nothing more than this little widow in Luke chapter 18 when it comes down to it, and neither are you. But God, God is the opposite of that judge, isn't He? God says, I want you to come to me today. And I want you to come back tomorrow. And I want you to come back tomorrow. And I want you to come back. And I want you to come back because I love you. And, well, I have the ability to help you. I can take care of you. I like the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. It reminds us of something very important. When no one else might seem to understand what I'm going through and, and no one else may not know exactly what to say and I may not know exactly how to verbalize and I may not know exactly how I want to put it to someone else. Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, you just go in your room and you shut the door. And you talk to your Father. Because He hears you in the secret place. And He will reward you openly. He's not that judge. He's not that judge who who doesn't want to hear. He's not that judge who doesn't want to help. Jesus says He's the opposite of that. He wants to help. And He can. And He will. You see, I want to pray... Like Jesus prayed. I want to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17. I want to know that God hears me and that God is going to reward. And I want to never lose heart. That's what it's about. Tonight, I want you to think about the fact that you've been bought as a Christian. And then I want you to examine your life as I'm trying to do mine and ask, am I living as I ought? I mean, am I properly responding to Jesus Am I properly responding to His love? And Am I properly responding to His sacrifice? Am I conducting myself the way that I ought, following His example? And tonight, as you think about that in your life, if the answer is no, something needs to change in your life. Something needs to change in mine. I want to live as I ought. I want to follow His example Because the truth is, as God's people, we have a duty and obligation to obey God. But how great to know that Jesus left us that example. That we're not left to our own, but He says, I will show you what this looks like. And He has. Tonight, are you serving like Jesus? Are you striving to walk as Jesus walked? Are you striving tonight to sacrifice as Jesus sacrificed? Are you striving tonight to pray as Jesus prayed? That's what we ought to do because we've been bought. Tonight, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation as a Christian, there's something amiss in your life and you need to repent and confess that sin and and you need the prayers of your brethren, well, we want to pray with you. We want to help you any way that we can. There's something else in your life that's going on and we need to know about it and you need prayers. This is an opportunity to let that known. We want to help you any way that we can. We're a family, right? And we're striving to help each other get home. That's what it's about. But tonight, my friend, if you're not a child of God, if you've not obeyed the gospel, if you've not come to Jesus in loving obedience, understand the price for your salvation has been paid, but you have to respond. Won't you tonight? This is a wonderful time for that. This would be the best if you would respond tonight in faith, confession, baptism, putting on the the blood of Jesus, having your sins washed away, We want to help you any way that we can tonight. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, please come now while together we stand and while we sing.